The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week... As every week, we're working on getting you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're going to talk about one of the hottest topics in real estate pretty much year in and year out, which is wholesaling houses. And we're going to talk about it from a little bit of a different perspective today. Because gosh knows we've covered wholesaling and probably a dozen different shows, which you could go listen to at your leisure at realliferealestate.com. But I think everybody who's doing it or wants to do it recognizes that we are in a bit of an unusual market right now in 2021. A super hot market. So many buyers looking for so few deals. And so... What we're going to talk about today is how real life wholesalers are handling and succeeding at this and their tips for your success. I have with me not one, not two, but three real life real estate investors from different parts of the regional market here who have been doing it different different lengths of time, do it a little bit different ways, and have some good advice for you today. First off, I have with me uh, Cheryl, who is the co-leader of the Cincinnati RIA Wholesale Focus Group. Everybody who belongs to Cincinnati RIA has seen Cheryl along many, many times. She's on the board there. She's been co-running that group for a long, long time and has been in the real estate biz since 2011. So it's been um, been a lot of different markets for Cheryl over the years. Uh, also, I have Tansy Mason Phillips, who is the co-leader of the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs Wholesale Focus Group. Uh, she's been an agent since 1998 and has been investing there in the Columbus area for 15 years. And finally, I have Kyle Claxton, who is uh, not in Ohio at all. He works in the northern Kentucky market, which has its own set of challenges, many of them around actually finding people to sell properties to you. And he's the newbie in our group. He has only been uh, wholesaling since 2018, but um, between that and his simultaneous retailing business that he started he recently gave up his other job and has gone into real estate investing full time so they are all three joining me by phone from their various locations and um 
I think this gives us the opportunity to have a good conversation with a bunch of different people who are in the wholesaling business full time. So thank you guys for joining me today. I think that the very first thing we probably need to discuss is the thing we're all hearing. And I mean, uh, Cheryl and Tansy, especially the two of you, since you are in monthly meetings with other wholesalers who are, who are sharing their challenges and trying to learn how to do this better is that the market is just freaking weird. This is, I mean, I've, I've been doing this for a lot of years and this is far and away the strangest market that I have ever seen. Um, Cheryl, can you, can you share some of the stuff that you personally are seeing and that the folks who are in the focus group there at Cincinnati RIA are seeing in this market that's just so different than it was even two or three years ago? Well, it's different for me because I have buyers actually calling me. I mean, just calling me. Do you have anything? Do you have anything? It's just, uh, that's, that's really different for me. And then when I do get something, you call one person and it's gone. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's been a big change mm-hmm. recently. And I know that was that was very different than the market you sort of walked into back in 2011. Exactly. Where it's just it, the opposite. It was the opposite. It was, it was just the opposite. Sellers would harass you to like you'd say, no, actually, I can't. I can't yeah. do anything with your house. And they, they'd call you every week and say, are you sure? What if I yeah. threw in the appliances? What if you got to take my dog? What if like, like. People was giving me houses but then. I got a lot of houses. People were literally giving them to me. So yep, yep, yep. And then and then the problem was, who are you going to sell them to? Exactly. So same question for you, Tansy. You're in a you're in a market that's um, actually, if anything, hotter than Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, bigger bigger population, more people moving in there in Columbus, which means probably more competition from homeowners who are maybe right. even buying some of these ugly houses that we would typically be focusing on uh, as wholesalers. What are you experiencing and hearing up there? In the Columbus area, most of the people are not able to find properties, right? So they're um, saying that there are no deals available. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they do find something, it's gone with a rehabber. So the mm-hmm. rehabbers are picking everything up quickly because they have more cash available and can close quickly. So they're getting competition from their own buyers. Yes. Because it's the rehabbers they would be calling if they could get the deal under contract. Now, do you believe there's no deals available? Oh, no, there's deals. <laughs> so, there's so, deals. So, so where's the disconnect? These folks were saying, there's no deals, there's no deals. What are they missing? They're not doing the marketing. They're not doing the driving for dollars. They're not going back to... Um, just the basics. Mm-hmm. And they're not following up. Yeah, the follow-up. Let's get Kyle's take on this uh, as well, because the Northern Kentucky market is actually, it's a very small market relative to Cincinnati and, and Columbus. The population down there is probably literally 20% of what it is here. But I understand you guys are having your own struggles with inventory down there too. Yeah, it is. There's There's nothing for sale. So we, we have been agents and just seeing that buyers are fighting over everything. And then on top of that, you have uh, investors paying way too much. Now, it's mainly newer investors, but you, you see the new wholesalers posting something up for way more than it should be posted. And what 
shocks me is all the comments beneath it on Facebook that says, can I get more information? When can I see this? And I'm like, have you not ran the numbers? This is not worth it. (laughs) Do you not know how to run the numbers? Maybe that's the problem. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we're all in agreement that what everybody believes is there's no inventory and plenty of buyers. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the reality of what's going on with people who are still wholesaling properties. Uh, you listen to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Um, decided today to just get some like on the ground advice from some people who are doing a strategy that uh, lots of folks want to be doing. And if you were to listen to what people are saying at RIA meetings all over the country, at meetups all over the country, on Facebook and forums, there's just no deals in the whole wide world for wholesalers. And yet we're talking to people here who are doing deals, which seems kind of, it can't be both things. There either are deals or there aren't deals. And we talked a little bit before the break about what some of these folks see as the disconnect. Why are the people who say there are no deals and every single one of them is either going to a rehab or a homeowner? Why are they not seeing the deals that are out there? And I want to come back around to that, but um, first I want to ask the question that I know, don't even send it in. I I know you all are going to, every listener is like, what's their best lead source? And yes, out of every every guest who's here on Real Life Real Estate, and they all answer you, but I'm going to ask it again. Kyle, what is your best lead source? Like if you, if I, if I marched into your house and said, you are only allowed to do one thing from here on out, you're not allowed to use all of your lead sources. You're only allowed to use one of them for your wholesale deals. Which one would you pick? I would uh, drive for dollars and then cold call. So you are literally getting in your car, going around to the neighborhoods where you know, you can sell deals, writing down addresses of properties that meet what criteria. Cause you'd be amazed at how many people don't actually know what driving for dollars are. Is. <laughs> the criteria is, I mean, it's, it's obvious. So something that has overgrown grass, you can tell it needs repairs. It hasn't been taken care of. You'll see papers on the door, which are not saying ring the doorbell for, for service. <laughs> it's the foreclosure notices, but um, that, and then most of the time you can tell if it's vacant. Um, they won't have shades or blinds, or if they do, they're broken and you can see through it that no one's there. And then you are writing down those addresses or doing whatever millennials do using some app or something to find the addresses. And then you are tracking down the owner's phone numbers and calling them. Yep. You know, that makes a lot of people super nervous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How often do you get hung up on or yelled at? Surprisingly low. Actually, I think it's a, it was a fear of mine to begin with. I've always had a sales background, but um, I think if you approach it in the right way, I always play dumb. So I drove by your house and I don't even know if this is the right number. I'm sorry. And would you want to sell it? It's pretty rare that someone yells at you when you approach it in that manner. And so you're, you're driving for dollars and then dialing for dollars. Yes. And that's, that's, that's going to be the thing that you would do more than anything else because it gets you the best results. Why do you think it gets you the best results? I I know the house I've, I've seen it. So I know that there's clearly an issue there, especially if it's vacant. And so 
even though I'm, I'm playing the dumb card, I, I know that they need to sell that house for one reason or another. And if I can get them on the phone, I'm, I'm pretty confident that I can build enough rapport to at least start the conversation. I noticed what you did not say that you do is you don't go out and buy a list of 10,000 absentee owners and start dialing that, which is what everybody else does. I mean, that's that when people talk about dialing for dollars, they usually have bought a skip trace list of people who happen to be rental housing providers. And then they complain about how terrible the response rate is and how they get yelled at all the time. And you don't do that. You're actually having a conversation with somebody that you can say to them, it's the blue house, right? The one with the boarded up window in the front. I noticed it because the grass was long, which listeners, that is a completely different conversation than, hey, do you happen to have a property for sale? And you don't even know what the property is. And also notice that Kyle is making the calls himself. Yes. He's not trying to hire a VA from overseas to build rapport with his buyers. Okay, so that's Kyle's number one. What about Tansy? If I said you can only do one thing, what would you do? For me, it would be driving for dollars as well. And then are you calling them, mailing them? For me, when I'm driving for dollars, I'm looking for two things. I'm looking at the area and then also a particular house that may be in that area. But that's also is going to be an area that I'll be marketing going forward. Mm -hmm. So I may find a property and then skip trace that property by mm -hmm. locating the property owner. And are you going to send them a piece of mail? Or are you going to call them? Or are you going to do both of those things? In I'm some going to order? call first. Call first. Call first. If you can't get anything, then they get a piece of mail? Correct. Okay. So we got two driving for dollars is as favorite things to do. Cheryl, what is yours? My favorite is putting up signs. And okay. then going to the neighborhood and uh, knocking on the door. Okay. So bandit signs and door knocking, mm -hmm. which is a more direct version of cold calling, right? Because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not like you're knocking on somebody's door who has a realtor sign in the front yard because you're an agent. You can't do that. You uh -oh. can't cross somebody else's sign. So when you door knock, because that's a, that's a real interesting one, um, how do you choose what door to knock or is it just everyone in a neighborhood you like? No, when I see a bandit house, I knock on every door in the neighborhood and that's how I start my conversation with them. Every house on that, on that street, I knock on the door trying to find information about this person here. Can you help me? Do you have an extra house that you may want to sell? And that kind of how the conversation goes. Ooh. Hmm? So basically everybody's gotten creative yes. on, with, with this, which is, I mean, when we think about what's the lack in the market, if the lack in the market is deals, then what you do is you get creative about how you find your deals. Right. And people who say, well, there are no deals are probably still trying to, oh my gosh, I talked to a wholesaler the other day who told me he'd been making offers in MLS for six months mm. and hadn't gotten one single wholesale deal in six months. And my response was, who told you to do that? Right. <laughs> it wasn't me. That was like 2009, dude, when you could pick up deals out of MLS at a price where you could then wholesale them. I think listeners at this point should maybe get out of piece of paper and take a note that says drive $4 and door knock and make personal calls to people. Because when you hear the same thing 
from three different people who are actually finding deals, you maybe ought to believe that that is the reality and not the YouTube video that you just watched that was, by the way, posted five years ago, ago in a completely different market. Now, all three of you, as we were talking before the show, mentioned that it's not enough anymore just to contact a seller. Again, five years ago, many times sellers were not getting so many contacts from people. They were not hearing from every media outlet that the real estate market was super hot and therefore going, oh, well, then my house is worth a zillion dollars. They're not always anymore kind of oriented toward the value of their house versus the house next door that was completely fixed up when it sold last week. And it takes a little more than just, hey, I'm going to make a contact. They said, no, okay, next. So what is the the follow-up process look like for each of you once you have talked to a seller who you at least think should be motivated? And Tansy, let's start with you. For me, I just stay in touch with them. So if they say no to begin with to my offer, then I just follow up with them in about 30 days. So I give them a chance to review the information that we've discussed, and then I just follow up. Okay. Um, I'm currently working on a deal now that I'm following up on. Okay. So, so basically you tell them the first, during that first period where you're talking to them, because I know it's not always on one call. It's not always, oh, you have a house on one, two, three, easy street. I will give you 60,000 for that house. Sometimes it's, It's, we talk about it and then we several calls. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That initial discussion takes a a couple calls, you know, it's several. And then if you get to the point where they're not interested at that point or they need time to think about it, I, I give them that time. But you definitely have to build rapport. Okay. And, and what do those follow-up calls sound like? Because I, Sometimes yeah. it's not always a phone call. Sometimes it's just a, an email or text message. Have you considered selling yet? Just wanted to find out the status. Let me know when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Okay. Um, and it could be via text or email. That way it's not invasive or anything like that so you go the low pressure think about yeah. it as long as you need to think about then it they end up contacting me back okay and cheryl what does your follow-up process look like when i first call them i find, try to find out what they need so when i do call them back i will you know hey you said you needed to buy a bike you know did everything go well and just kind of talk to them and see what they need and see when they're thinking about selling and just keep calling them back and checking on them seeing how it's going did you get everything sold is there anything I can help you with that they say they need an apartment or you know I'll try to look for them an apartment you know just build a really really relationship with them like that oh so you don't just talk about price no I talk about <laughs> what they need like well the one lady has she couldn't sell her house until she got an apartment. So I found her apartment. I found an apartment that no money down. It was Christmas special. I got her what she needed. Then once she got what she needed, then I could get what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that thing you just said is so important. And it's it's something that seems to come from experience. Like, like if you stay around wholesaling long enough, you start to figure out that people th- people need things other than money. Right. And that if you can get them the things other than the money, that you have a much better chance of being the only person they even want to work with. Even if they've got five other people calling them, they only want to work with Cheryl because Cheryl's looking for an apartment for them. It's something, though, that everybody could be doing from day one if they knew to do it. So for all you newish wholesalers out there, did you hear what Cheryl just said? 
about find out what they need. Don't just go straight for the, well, how much work does the house need and how much do you want for it? And what does this estimate say about how much it's worth? Kyle, anything different about your follow-up process? It definitely bottom rapport. Can't stress that enough, um, especially with so many people asking them to to sell their house. Um, you have to differentiate yourself by building that relationship. But um, other than that, um, I put every phone call, I have notes and I put that in the CRM. So before I follow back up, I'll know, okay, last time we spoke, this is what was going on. And so I'll reference that in the phone call. I just had a phone call last week where the first, the way I started the phone call is, hey, how's your mom? How did things go with with the operation or um, is she doing well? Is she recovering? And and so I think that that is different that first of all, I remember that, but I, I genuinely, I care about that too. It's not just, oh no, well, how much is, you know, how much is it going to take to buy your house? <laughs> Sorry about your mom. How much you want for your house? Yeah, that's, um, and, and sadly, that is how a lot of um, wholesalers and probably real estate investors in general are. They're so focused on the numbers that they forget that the important thing is not actually the numbers. It's actually the people. When we come back, we're going to talk about rapport building because you just heard three different people say, one of the ways I get my deals is I build rapport. So we want to talk about how that, how that actually works, what it looks like. And um, we will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guests today are Kyle Claxton, Tansy Mason-Phillips, and Cheryl Long, all folks who are directly involved in the wholesaling businesses themselves. And two of the three of them also lead up focus groups where every month they talk to other wholesalers and wholesale, wholesaler wannabes about the market and how to uh, best deal with the market under the current circumstances. If you're interested in learning more about the Cincinnati RIA or CORE wholesaling focus groups, you can go to CincinnatiRIA.com. That's C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-R-E-I-A.com or for Columbus, CentralOhioRIA.com. Okay, folks, let's talk about rapport building, because that's another one of those like buzzwords. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone has ever taken a wholesaling class in the history of wholesaling classes where somebody didn't say, well, you have to build rapport. But based on the calls I get from wholesalers, because I'm on that absentee owners list. And so I get cold called and ringless voice mailed and, 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 and. I don't think everybody really understands what rapport building means. So if you were to try and describe or give an example of maybe a time when you were able to build good rapport for the sake of the people who think it's like manipulative, you know, rapport rapport building means I'm just saying whatever they want to hear. Rapport building means I'm just like flattering the heck out of my seller in any way that I can. Let's talk about what it really is and what it really sounds like and uh, Cheryl we'll, we'll start with you it's basically just having a real conversation with them you don't go down and say okay what's the address what's this we hear from me you just don't you don't do it you actually have a conversation with them ask them a question listen to the answer and build a rapport with them like that actually talking to them seeing what they need as you're going through the asking them the questions it's not just running down a list it's actually having a conversation with them you know, it's funny that you said that because as you guys know, Rhea and Corey are doing a 
negotiation workshop at the end of the month. And ahead of that, we sent out a survey saying like, what's the biggest thing that terrifies you about negotiating with sellers? And some of the things that people said were, I mean, I get it. I get why they're nervous about asking people questions like, um, how much do you owe on your house? Because that's not a normal question that you would ask somebody who is sitting at the next table in a restaurant, but it's kind of an important question if you're, if you're trying to solve a real estate problem for them. But a lot of the answers as I looked through them, I thought the reason you're afraid of that is because you're not listening to the sellers and the biggest request. So there was this, there was this thing that said other, like what else could we help you with? They said, almost every single person said, give me a script. And what I think you just told me was, there isn't a script. No. There's, <laughs> there's things you need to know. But when you say, tell me about the roof and the seller says, and I'm going to give a ridiculous example. Well, it's only halfway done because my son was fixing it and he fell off the roof and broke his neck. You don't say, okay, how about the gutters? Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. So really listen is what I heard mm-hmm. you say yes. and, and have, and have a conversation based on what you're hearing. Don't just go to the next question on the script. Right. Tansy report to you. You have to be genuine in the conversation that you're having with them. And you definitely have to listen because that's where you're going to pick up most of your information. If you just sit back and listen and be genuine, that that's mm-hmm. the best thing that you can do. So again, no scripts, no script. What would you say to, let's say somebody came to your focus group and said, well, Tansy, it's easy for you because people like you and you're an extrovert and you like talking to people and I can't, it's impossible for me because I don't have any of those things. It's just a conversation. You have conversations with people every day. You know, so it's just a conversation. Sellers aren't typically looking for you to like be the smartest or most entertaining or what it's just it's such a relief often after talking to your competitors in particular that it sounds like you're actually paying attention to what they're saying yes they want to talk to someone that's like them that Mm -hmm. understands them that's listening yes Mm -hmm. so kyle with the sales background you've probably you've probably you've probably been building rapport for many many years longer than you've done real estate so tell us tell us your secrets the secrets (laughs) okay so I, I really liked what uh, Tansy said on, on being genuine. I think, um, first of all, if, if with, with people in these situations, um, you really have to have their best interests at heart too sometimes because you you uh, run a fine line of being able to take advantage of people. And so I think when you're genuine people, um, they can sense that. But um, I always, w- whenever we go on a seller appointment, I the first thing I try and do is is find something in common with them or something that they like. So I look at everything to what they're wearing. Okay, they have a um, sports jersey on. I'm going to ask them, okay, are you a, are you a Bengals fan? Are you a um, whatever fan? Um, if, if that's not there, I'll, I'll ask about their car. Oh, how do you like the Honda Civic? And just getting them to open up just does a whole, whole lot in the conversation. And there's been situations where we've walked through a house and I've, I've thought to myself, man, this person's a brick wall. They just, they won't talk. And then you, you mentioned the one, one thing you just, Oh, how, how do you like that truck? And then they just open up. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you have to have a conversation. That was going to be my next question actually was those brick wall people. Because even, even once you understand that you're supposed to build rapport, you just get people who 
it doesn't seem to matter what you do or say, they're going to give you one word answers. They're going to just seem really like closed up and like they, I don't know, like, like, like they're afraid to talk to you because I don't know, they might let something slip that would, I don't know, ruin their side of the negotiation or something like that. Kyle says the big secret is just be observant and find out what's going on around them and just keep, you know, keep, keep going until you find out they really love bass fishing. And now you can, you don't have to know about bass fishing. You say, oh, you know, I've always wanted to do that. Like, how would I get started? And then they will talk to you and then uh, hopefully you can bring the conversation back around to what do you want for your house, right? Um, what do you ladies do when you run across one of those, I am just not going to have rapport built with me kinds of sellers? For me, it's just finding out first if they're motivated. Because most times those that are not willing to give information or giving you one answers, they're not motivated from the beginning. So if they're not motivated, then I tend to move on to the next. You're not going to kill yourself building rapport with somebody who's basically, says, yeah. <laughs> basically in the position of, I have a great house in a great neighborhood and I don't need to sell it. So yeah, especially when you're being genuine and you understand that they have an issue to resolve, but yeah, if, mm-hmm. if they're not motivated, then. And Cheryl, you have any secrets for those folks? well I usually just kind of follow up with them and kind of wear them down so (laughs) you know I had a one man that hung up on me he said he wouldn't sell it to people like me and I just kept calling everything okay uh you still get your house sold so finally he started talking to me like he said you're still gonna keep calling me I said I'm just gonna check on you and make sure you you still got the house just thinking about selling and just kind of do them like that and just still be like genuine with them and you know showing that I'm concerned and and that kind of works for me so all right well Anyone can answer this one. Do you think it takes a thick skin when dealing with sellers as a wholesaler? Is this a business that somebody who's going to get upset every time somebody hangs up on them or uh, occasionally calls them and says, if you ever send me another postcard, I'm going to track you down and put it where the sun don't shine. I mean, that just happens, right? If you're that sensitive, I don't know if that this would work for you because you're going to get hung up on. You know, I've been called a lot of choice names. I mean, so <laughs> I don't know if this would be the, where you would want to start. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not the best possible business. Right. And I will say, you know, I actually, as I have said many times and gotten arguments about many times, I, I'm actually an introvert. It's hard for me to talk to strangers. And that was maybe the hardest thing at the beginning was that occasional person, you know, I would have. 60 great conversations in a row and the 61st person would be you know you're just a shark i don't i i hate all real estate investors you just trying to steal my house from me and that would be the one i would think about for the next two weeks so in some ways uh practice makes perfect you can often you know get over it by just doing it a lot and discovering that it may not feel good but it, it's not everybody who does it. And also it doesn't kill you as it turns out. And don't take it personally. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't take, it, it, there's, there's every chance that whatever is going on with those people, it was something that had absolutely nothing to do with you whatsoever. Let's move on to your favorite tools that are helping you helping you continue to be successful in a market where a lot of people are saying, yep, no deals available. 
we can't really like recommend specific types of products and things like that, but we can say in general, like my most important tool is my CRM or my driving for dollars app or whatever. What do you, what are you guys using that you find yourself using every single day in this market? I've been using prop streams a lot. That comes in very, very handy once I figured out how to use it. So comping. Yeah, system. comping. And then if I'm in front of the house, they got the little thing I can send a car, a postcard right from the street. Yes. So driving for dollars app. Mm-hmm. And that just that just kind of eases the stuff that you have to do day to day. Tansy, any tools that you just like have to have? For me, it's tracking the CRM. And also being able to send the postcard right from the app. Yeah, so a Driving for Dollars app. Which, uh, for for folks who may not be familiar with what that is, so non-millennials, late adopters, there's a number of apps available. And again, we can't recommend any specific one, but where you literally can sit in front of a house, aim your phone at the house. It will tell you what address you're looking at and which is important in driving for dollars because a lot of times the vacant houses, the uh, addresses have also fall, fallen off. Many of them will then, you just click a button and it'll send some sort of a letter or postcard to the owner of that property. It also will often tell you like when was the last time it sold, how's it valued. So I'm hearing a lot of people saying that driving for dollars apps are real important to them. Uh, Kyle, any tech that you love? CRM outside of that, we don't use a whole lot. I don't know if this counts as tech, but having someone that you can ask questions to, so a mentor or a coach. So shameless plug to uh, Uvina because I feel like we use that pretty frequently and it it helps a lot. Yes. Yeah, so I would say that that is definitely not tech. And, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm surprised that the youngest person in this group right here. I kind of expected you to say based on your age, well, I have every single solitary piece of this uh, automated with some technology or another. And then I was going to come back to you and say, but Kyle, you understand that real estate cannot be made a completely high tech business. It has to be a high touch business, but apparently you already know that. Yes. (laughs) And I'm not organized enough to have that much going on. You know that. All right. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're going to be back right after this break. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Having a conversation today about what the 2021 wholesaling market is like with Cheryl Wong, who heads up the Cincinnati RIA Wholesaling Focus Group, Tansy Mason Phillips, who heads up the Central Ohio RIA. Wholesaling Focus Group and Kyle Claxton, who is a dude who belongs to one of those groups and works in a market that's a little different than everybody else's. So smaller, uh, fewer, fewer people there and um, just as much competition, apparently, as everywhere else. We're just trying to have a conversation about in the face of all the talk about there's no deals and nothing on the market and da, da, da. What is actually being successful in the wholesaling world. Um, been some real good advice so far, but guys, the things we the thing we have not dealt with is the competition. There are an awful lot of people wandering around and if they had business cards, they would put wholesaler on the business card who seem to have learned everything they know from watching like one 30 minute YouTube video. They don't understand how to evaluate properties. They don't understand what repairs cost. And they're making offers on the same properties we are. 
So the the effect of that is that, uh, you know, we're working with a seller, we're getting toward a deal, and all of a sudden somebody pops up and offers so crazy much more. You know, it's not it's not like they upped our bid by a thousand or two thousand dollars. They like we think that the deal is worth seventy two, and they just got offered one hundred and five kind of situation. I want to know how each of you deals with that, both kind of psychologically, because that can be tough when you've worked with somebody for a week and all of a sudden they're saying, "Oh, nope, never mind. Somebody just came and offered me one hundred and five thousand dollars." But also practically, because I don't know about you all, but when I hear that. My first thought is, yeah, that's not going to close. You're going to accept that offer. And then you're going to get super disappointed in 30 days when that person comes back to you and says, oh, well, my partners didn't approve the deal or whatever it is these people say when they back out of a deal. Tansy, let's start with you this time. What is your... What is your system for dealing with that sort of thing? For me, it would be just educating the seller on the potential of that deal not closing the repairs that are needed. Uh, I really can't justify their price over mine, besides the fact that the repairs or what have you that I've seen, um, this is all that I can offer. Um, However, if that deal doesn't work out with the other buyer, most certainly keep mine as a backup. And then I assume you follow up later on to see if that deal came through. All right, Kyle, what about you? Well, I start off by saying, wow, they offered you that much. That's amazing. You should take that (laughs) because I can't pay anywhere near that. And then Um, normally I'll follow up. I've built enough rapport to where they'll they'll normally tell me the terms of the offer. And so I'll I'll question, I'll say, well, how long do they need to close? They need 60 days to close a cash transaction. And what's the name of their company? And, oh, I've never heard of them before because you saw my Facebook page, right? Because we, we post our, our, uh, the work that we've done on houses. And so I kind of start to build a case against them, um, without the seller knowing that. And then they start to have uh, questions about, well, maybe, yeah, that is weird that they don't have a company name and, uh, they, they didn't put any earnest money down, which you don't have to, but, um, I I basically get them to reconsider who they're going to work with. Building a case that, yeah, that's awesome for you, but maybe you should reconsider the sure thing. And Cheryl, what about you? Well, I usually just tell them, I'm, you know, I'm glad they got it, you know, got another buyer and if something happens with that offer and for any reason that they can't call give me a call and if it's all right if I can I call and check on you you know when did you say it's gonna close they tell me and I say can I call and on that day and check and make sure everything went okay and that's kind of how I do and they usually call me back say they didn't come or whatever well you guys all have really good attitudes about this when I hear wholesalers talking and talking online they're all angry about it oh this guy came and he upped my offer by, and then, and then they ask questions like, well, how do I up his offer? If he offered 105, how do I offer 106 and still make this work? And you don't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Getting in a bidding war when you're a wholesaler is just not, it's not a profit producing thing. Cause then you're the one who has to call the seller back 30 days later and say, uh, no, we're not closing after all. Uh, so it sounds like y'all have a longer term view. It's not just like, I have to make this deal work right now. It's, Hey, if it comes back in three weeks, a month, two months, I'm okay with that. I'll just, in the meantime, I'll go find something else to go work on. Good attitude. Let's talk about the folks who might suspect that they are in the position of being one of those people who doesn't know what they're doing and that that's why they keep putting stuff under contract and then not being able to sell it. Recommendations for how they could move forward in a more successful way. And we'll start with Tansy. 
education. Join your local RIA group network. Most times you can ask your RIA members questions or um, issues that they've come across in the past. I would definitely say education. So maybe talk to people who are actually working in your local market and not people who are on Facebook and might be in a completely different sort of environment and market than you are. Correct. It has to be your local RIA group. Yes. Network with your with your network. You okay. Know. Cheryl. I think it's education too. You really need to educate yourself. And then you have to be willing to put the work in. A lot of times people that say it's not working, they made one call, sent out one postcard, then they say it don't work. Or they might even, they might even go further because I I hear this quite a bit. Everybody in my market wants full price. They they say, they say something like that. You don't, you don't understand my market in my market. Everybody wants full price. And Mm -hmm. when I come back with the question of, well, how many people have you actually talked to? The answer is six or 10, you know, it's, it's nowhere near the number of people that, you all know that you're going to talk to to find the one who has the right the right property, the right motivation, the right equity, all of that sort of thing. Kyle, advice for the person who suspects they might be one of these lost wholesalers who's doing dumb things like offering $30,000 too much on a property. Definitely going to say education and then one step further to echo, get someone that you can learn from, whether that's a coach or a mentor, because Get someone who's successful that you can ask them. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. actually doing what you want to do in the area you want to do it in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think something that all of you have sort of said, but we haven't said it directly, is don't be afraid to talk to your competitors. Don't sit in these focus groups and these RIA meetings and these meetups and have a question that you're sitting there with your arms crossed, afraid to ask. If, if you, if there's something you don't understand, speak up. I mean, I generally find that, especially within real estate associations that have a good sense of community, there's not this, well, I'm not telling you that because then somehow that would hurt me. If you knew that, that if, if you will, if you will be brave enough to speak up and say, I don't even understand what a contract assignment is mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what it looks like. And, you know, can anybody help me with that? People will help you. I asked people questions. I got on their nerves. <laughs> <laughs> and, but look at you today. Yes. Now, now you're the one that people ask questions until they get on your nerves. Yes. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Listen, I I really want to thank you guys for sharing your current experience in the wholesaling market. I think there's been some really good advice here. If if the listeners will actually bother to follow it, get joined up with a good local real estate association, hang around with other wholesalers, get educated, understand, of course, the basics of how do I evaluate properties and what are repair costs, but also to have a, have a longer term outlook, understand it is going to be work and that some of that work is just in following up and doing things other people won't do to find the deals. And I, I hope we've inspired some folks to not give up and to um, just, just do the right things in the right market. My um, guests today, today have been Cheryl Long, Tansy Mason Phillips, and Kyle Claxton. You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.